Hey everyone, I'm Gracie. Welcome to the Grace of Military Child podcast. The world should know how unique military children are. We may look like normal children on the outside, but we go through some pretty extraordinary circumstances that shape us to the leaders we are today. Keep listening to hear the incredible journey this week's guest has been on. Hi, Enrique. Welcome to the podcast. How are you? Doing great, Gracie. I'm happy to be here. Good. Yes, I'm happy to have you. So tell me a little bit about your parent who served and kind of what that experience was like growing up. Uh, well, uh, my dad was the, the primary one that served. So he joined right out of high school. Um, and we're, we're from Puerto Rico. So in our family, it was kind of a patriarchal type of a situation where the father makes the decisions. Uh, so in our family, it was uh, my dad's dad who was making the decisions and de determined your career path. My dad wanted to be a musician. My grandfather wanted my dad to be a pastor. And somewhere along the way, my dad decided, mm, no, I'm since I don't get to do what I want to do, I'm not going to do what you want to do. And he joined the army. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so he enlisted uh, right out of high school. And... Uh, he knew my mom from high school as well. So they both up and moved to a different location. Um, I'm the second born of, of the four kids. And uh, I have an older sister who's three years older. Who She was born on the island. I was the only one not born on the island, which brings up a whole different set of issues. Because <laughs> I'm the American cousin or the, the army cousin or sibling that wasn't born on the island with everybody else. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of fun growing up. Well, a lot of our uh, duty stations were overseas. So I was born in Panama. And then not too long after I was born, we went to uh, Germany or Italy and then Germany. And then kind of back and forth between Italy and Germany a few times and then over to uh, Okinawa and then finally coming stateside when uh, I was in middle school. Wow. So most of your kind of elementary years and like younger years were spent overseas. Right. What was that like growing up in, you know, completely different countries where, you know, now living in the United States, it must be so different. It is. Um, it was a great experience. I didn't know any different. So I didn't know that that's not what families did, that they picked up and moved every year to two years, or that uh, even when we weren't moving to a different duty station, that uh, families didn't just up and move every six months to a year anyways, uh, just to stay in practice. Um, that was just kind of our, um, our MO. But uh, yeah, experiencing the culture, experiencing the life, my dad was one where uh, he didn't like to cluster with other soldiers or other military families. He liked living off base and really embedding himself and embedding the rest of us with the local culture and the, and the people so that we were really enmeshed with what was going on, uh, a part of the community. That's awesome. Um, so where kind of... You mentioned quite a few places, but where, how many times did you move? Where exactly did you live? Things like that. 
Oh my gosh. Uh, too many moves to count. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I remember Yeah, we were stationed in three different place, places within uh, Germany. We were in Stuttgart, Frankfurt, and Neu-Ulm. Um, I don't remember exactly where we were in Italy. Uh, we were in Okinawa. Um, we were in, what was it? Camp Lester on, on Okinawa. My dad, or no, my dad worked at Camp Lester. We lived on Camp Foster and I went to school on Kadena Air Base. And my mom worked at Okuma Beach, which was a military reserve about an hour and a half away. Wow. So it was just kind of, we're all over the place. Yeah, that's insane. Did you kind of enjoy living in a different country more than living in the States? Or was there a specific country you enjoyed living in the most? I did. Um, yeah, Germany was a lot of fun. Uh, I was pretty young then. So it was just a great opportunity where I got to spend the most amount of time with my dad. Uh, we had never seen snow before. So just having that experience and that exposure for my older sister and I, that's where I learned to ride a bike. So a lot of those fun memories are, are right there in Germany. Uh, but Okinawa was definitely the most fun. Yeah. Um, got to make some good friends, local friends, um, military friends, and just go out and roam and explore the island and meet a lot of really great people. And that's where I fell in love with history as well. Just there's so much history there and culture and so much to learn. Yeah, I'm sure. You mentioned schooling, how, you know, and living off base, did you go to off base schools most of the time or were you on base or how did that, that work with, you know, moving and living in different countries and things like that? Yeah, living in different countries, we still went to Department of Defense schools. And uh, one of my parents either had to take us to school or we took public transportation to get to school. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of an adventure all by itself, uh, being brand new to the country. And, and I should also say that neither of my parents spoke English. Mm. It wasn't required in, in Puerto Rico to learn English because it wasn't a language that anybody used on the island. So when my dad joined the army, he knew the basic commands from um, a different group that he was in that was kind of similar to the Boy Scouts, but not quite the same thing. It's called Pathfinders. Uh, so because he was able to follow the basic commands, he was able to get into the army as long as he committed to learning English. And wow. my mom didn't speak a lick of English. <laughs> so it was challenging for her to go from her small town in uh, the southwest part of uh, Puerto Rico to a foreign country where she couldn't speak that language on top of not really having a, a command at all of the English language to be able to communicate. So once kids came around, uh, it was a blessing because our role was to really be the ambassadors of what America is meant to be and what, um, what we could be. But then also we could help her with English and help translate and help her navigate Wow. That, yeah, I couldn't imagine that, you know, living in a different country that speaks a totally different language. And then, you know, in those areas of like Germany and Okinawa, where you have, you know, co a completely different culture, but you have that military presence. And so it's kind of like 
you know, kind of a little bit of America, you know, right where you right. are. And so, again, English is a huge language there. So I couldn't imagine not not knowing it and then not even knowing the the next language of the country. Right. Yeah. And the beautiful thing about that, just like you mentioned, it's a little bit of America. So you have uh, people from all over the world, from all ethnicities, from all uh, economic, socioeconomic classes. So once you get on base and go to the uh, community centers and start to connect with other people, you see, oh, I recognize my language or I recognize the pattern of speech that sounds like they might be from my home or from my island. Then you start to kind of gravitate towards each other and establish some of those connections. So she, she was able to do that and kind of adapt and uh, forge a path through that while uh, learning English or leaning on others to help learn English or waiting for us kids to help her translate. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, those are some of the struggles that, you know, as military families we face, and but you don't think about much. You really right. don't think about it. And not knowing languages is, and living in another country that, you know, doesn't speak your native language is huge. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then going from one foreign country to the next, mm-hmm. where uh, you just have to kind of purge that previous language and try to uh, grasp that next language as quickly as possible right. and figure out, okay, in this country, they did this, they drove, here are all the different customs, here are some of the different traditions. What are some of those same things in this new country that we're in so that we're not uh, offending our hosts and so that we are respectful and that we are uh, you know, being good uh, representatives? Right, but it makes it interesting too and creates like well-rounded individuals you know, because you experience so many different cultures, so many different cities and places and countries and those customs and traditions that you're just so accustomed to, you know, once you get somewhere, you're like, okay, now let me figure out this place, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's helped me quite a bit in my career. And as I um, meet different people all around the world, uh, so professionally, uh, I didn't go into the army. I wanted to at some point. Uh, but had some uh, medical issues and wasn't really able to go in. And then my dad said, you know, I've served almost 30 years. That's enough for the whole family. Just focus on college, focus on building up from there. Don't follow the same path um, because I've served enough for all of us. So I ended up going into uh, the private sector, worked in corporate America, but I chose global companies and traveled the world. So I got to kind of still feed that, that wanderlust, yeah. uh, traveling quite a, quite a few different places. And every now and again, would get to bring my wife along or bring family along with me so that they could experience some of those same things and uh, take them off of uh, the beaten path to different areas that they otherwise wouldn't get to experience because tourists generally don't go that route. So it's been, uh, yeah, great experiences, great opportunities to meet additional people. And uh, yeah, the people I interact with generally find, oh, wow, you're so well-rounded. You're so open-minded. You make a conscious effort to welcome and embrace people from different cultures or people who are different than you. Well, that's, I recognize that I myself am different and we're all different. So as long as we're able to 
be respectful of one another's differences. We can find common ground where we can all uh, share and build something really good together. Yeah. And, you know, living that military life, like you said, really prepares you for that outside world, that travel, that, you know, being accepting of, you know, the world around you, the people around you, and not just being like, oh, this is different. Okay, this is not, you know, (laughs) this is not me. We're just going to move on and, you know, keep going Um, or, you know, even not accept it and, you know, risk offending, you know, people of another country and, um, it's, it's something that you learn really quickly as a military family, as a military child, a spouse, um, the service member, you know, you learn that really quickly to be accepting and to, you know, not, not just cut someone off, you know, (laughs) you learn, you learn those lessons really quickly. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then you just kind of build in that awareness of your hand gestures or some of the different words you use or uh, whether you look someone in the eye or not, or how you greet them or do you greet them or do you greet their partner? Right. Quite a few different nuances that uh, could be considered offensive that in normal American culture is people just don't, um, just aren't aware of. Yeah, for sure. What was it like? So how old were you when you moved to America? Uh, Let's see. I was about 12. So kind of what was that transition like from living like 12 years overseas in foreign countries and then, you know, finally coming to America and, you know, experiencing the American culture? That was challenging. Truly challenging because we were in Okinawa at the time, and then went from Okinawa to Fort Gordon, Georgia, um, and went to regular public school. So just making that transition from Department of Defense schools to public schools, I had to go through testing, and I couldn't even understand what what the um, guidance counselors or the teachers were telling me because it was a dialect I had never heard before and a cadence I wasn't familiar with. Um, so that was hard. Right. Um, and my, my pattern of speech and my, my accent was kind of mixed up. It was a Spanish accent mixed with Japanese and German. So it was, it was kind of a hodgepodge of different things because I picked up uh, a few different dialects over, over the years and, uh, they weren't quite sure of my command of English either, um, even though I, at that point I didn't speak Spanish. I just had the accent because my parents spoke with a thick Spanish accent. Um, right. So th- that was a, a tough transition. Um, and then from moving so many different times, making and losing friends, uh, I became more introverted where I just stopped putting myself out there to make new friends because I knew, well, I'm going to be moving in a year. So what's the point? Right. I'm just going to focus on doing my, my schoolwork. I'm going to go to school, going to go home and that's it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to an extent, like that's, that's normal and that's typical and that's okay. But, you know, it's hard to be able to put yourself out there 
and to constantly be putting yourself out there every single move every single you know year or two years that you move it's hard to put yourself out there and then you know you have to do it all over again and do it all over again but then it's like I always found it fun I only moved twice so I didn't move much I didn't have to make new friends much but I found it fun each and every time because I could meet new people I could have new friends I could you know do all these new things experience these new places and you know with these new people um but then you know it is hard moving is a struggle and you know if you do the on-base schools the dod schools you've got that constant overturn of students coming in and out i believe it's somewhere around like 50 percent overturn each and every year so half the students leave half are new the following year and you know that is such a struggle in itself too it sure is it sure is so that was uh, quite the change because there weren't that many of us who were military kids that mm-hmm. were in the public school system um and there are so many different public schools that we never saw each other because we were dispersed all around uh, the metropolitan area um and it was just kind of fascinating that I would get into a class and going to a, a fine arts magnet school that was from fifth grade through 12th grade are the grades that were at the magnet school, 500 mm-hmm. kids total. And some of these kids had known each other since kid, kindergarten and had gone to school together ever since then. So me coming in in eighth grade, uh, I'm an automatic disadvantage because they already have their groups. They already have their niches. Nobody's getting in. So it's just all about the school and they're telling stories. They're getting together and doing all these things. And just asking myself, wait, when did this happen? Oh, that was in kindergarten or that was first grade. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's definitely hard, you know, going into those public schools and, you know, saying, Hey, I'm the new kid. Because that doesn't happen often. It really, you know, right. it, it happens, but it's not often. And then, you know, where you have these DOD schools, you're constantly moving in and out. And so you're used to that. You, it's full of military kids. It's it's normal. But then, you know, you go to these public schools and it's not as normal. And some bases right outside, those those couple public schools right outside are full of military kids. But there are some that are empty. There's like maybe one or two. And so it's like you you are the outsider. You stick out, you know. You weren't there since kindergarten. And, you know, some people even make sure to tell you that. And it's like, okay, I already know. <laughs> like, don't remind me. I'm trying to fit in here. I'm trying my best. But it's hard. And then you're like, okay, I only have a year here. So big deal. Right. Right. Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. That was my experience as well. And then the magnet school, uh, one of the unique things was it didn't matter where you lived in the county. Mm-hmm. You were going as long as you were in the school and you kept your grades up and you met all the different requirements, you're going to stay in that school. Well, that worked out great for my family because we moved every single year. Yeah. And uh, my parents divorced by that point. So I stayed with my mom. My dad moved on to uh, South Korea um, and then Germany from there. So stayed with my mom and the pattern continued. She remarried another uh, uh, serviceman who was also in the army. And we still moved every single year, stayed around Fort Gordon. 
but had a different um, different address every year. Yeah, different bus, but got bus to the exact same place. Wow. So the the same group of people were there. I just saw a different segment of them to get to the school. Wow. And see, that's kind of unique. It's very unique. Like, it's not, you know, even most military kids, it's like an every two years you're, you're moving. Every two years, every year and a half, every year. And so it's like once you are moving, but you're able to stay in that same space and go to the same school, that's crazy because that does not always happen. <laughs> No, not at all. Not at all. It was yeah, very strange. And that itch to move, um, that never left. I still have it. Mm-hmm. Um, so even after high school, um, I just picked a place on the map and said, okay, this is where I'm going to search to go to college. And got into college, left, never came back home. And then when things didn't necessarily work out at college, okay, what's the next place on the map? Uh, I actually went to um, the Amtrak train station, just put a hundred dollar bill on the counter and said, okay, pick the location. Wow. Tell me where I'm going to go for a hundred dollars. It's like, well, you can go to Chicago for this amount. It's like, no, I've already been to Chicago. <laughs> Give me someplace new. Yeah. Someplace different. I've never been to. Okay. Have you been to Minneapolis, St. Paul? No, I haven't. Great. That's $96. Here you go. Here's your change. That direction. Wow. And off I went. Um, and I've been here ever since. That was 1994. Wow. So have you gotten the urge to move again? Are you like? <laughs> yes. Yes. My wife is uh, My wife is born and raised here in Minnesota. Uh, she's lived in two houses, her parents and ours. Um, and when, yeah, after we got married and we bought a house, she, well, we lived in a couple of apartments in between, um, mm-hmm. between buying our house or getting married and buying our house. And I would intentionally only sign a six month lease so that we had to move <laughs> so that subconsciously I could still kind of scratch that itch yeah. to that wanderlust and move. Even if we stayed in the same apartment complex, we had to move to a different apartment within the complex just so I could reset that clock. Um, over and over and over again. So after we bought the house, she just kind of pulled me aside and said, I'm not doing this in a year. I'm not doing this in six months. This was a pain to uh, sign all the paperwork and do all that. So if you need to um, you know, have that itch to, to move or do something, you're going to have to figure some other creative solution out. Um, so we did. So I started repainting or remodeling or doing landscape work or doing something else to change up the look or mentally trick myself into yes i'm someplace different yeah and it's like that psychology behind it of you know just you know rearranging some furniture just painting a wall you know things like that it tricks yourself you're like oh this is a new spot this is this is new this is this is nice i mean i do the same thing with my closet i empty it all out and then reorganize it and put it all back in and it's a new closet <laughs> like you know exactly you know it's that feeling of you know you constantly need something new there's something new out there there's something and you can't just sit still it's hard to sit still yes yes yeah i definitely don't sit still always on the move yep um Never one to rest. Um, I recognize there's 168 hours in the week, and I want to squeeze every second out of 
every single one of those hours. And if I'm not, then something's amiss because there's an opportunity that I'm not taking advantage of or somebody I'm not helping or there's something I'm not doing. I'm not serving in some capacity. Yeah, there were always so many things that I said no to. I was like, no, I can't do that. No, I can't do that. I have to do this instead. No, I can't do that because that's not going to work with this and this and this. And then it's like, okay, you know, I'm in college now. So it's like, I don't want to miss out on these years. And so my friends would ask me to go out with them. And I'm like, no, I have to do my schoolwork. And my mom would look at me and be like, um, no, you can go out with your friends. <laughs> your schoolwork will still be here. And then I go out with my friends and I come home and I'm like, I'm really happy I went out with my friends instead of, you know, sat around and did my schoolwork, which, you know, is still very, very important. Like, you know, I value my school. But at the same point, if you keep saying no to these things, you're not going to do anything. You're not going to go anywhere. And so, you know, it's a hard lesson to learn. But as a military kid, you kind of learn it a little quicker. And then, you know, because I had so much civilian time too, I had to like relearn that lesson <laughs> at a point. Um, but, you know, the more you say no, the more you miss out and you miss those opportunities. And uh, you never know what can come from those opportunities either. Well, you're absolutely right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, what I've learned is that relationships take work. Mm -hmm. So those relationships, those uh, classmates that have known each other since kindergarten, well, they they stay together and they continue to work at those relationships. And I'm not going to have that, but I can draw a line somewhere and just build that relationship with somebody else. And um, as I like to say, play catch. Yep. Um, so just kind of have that communication and just that open dialogue with somebody else and just start the game of catch and turn it into long toss and then turn it into something else. And it just starts to evolve from there. But you have to start from somewhere and it starts with saying yes. Yeah. And even if like, you know, these friends from kindergarten, like, you know, they put in a lot of work to, you know, maintain their friendship through the years. And then, you know, a new person comes in and it's like, well, this could ruin our friendship. This could ruin the relationship that we've built. And so it's like, okay, like, sorry, but you need to go find someone else. Like, and then you have to start that game of catch and be like, okay, you know, you want to do this? You want to do this? Like you, you have to start somewhere. There, there always has to be a starting point to any, any relationship, any friendship, anything um, of a sort. You have to start somewhere and you have to then continuously put in that effort because if you don't put in that effort, then it's gone with the wind. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I've gone back and uh, tried to restart some of those uh, friendships and relationships. And, uh, you know, it's taken a little effort. Yeah. Because back in the day, we didn't have Facebook or, you know, mobile phones. We didn't have all these wonderful ways to connect with people. So it's taken quite a bit of effort to try and track people down. And then when I do, it's, hey, yeah. It's great you tracked me down. It's kind of creepy because <laughs> uh, we knew each other 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. Why are you tracking me down now? What do you want? Yeah. Like, oh, I just wanted to say hi. Yeah. Wanted to see how you were doing. Okay, great. Hi. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> yeah. And if you're not like, you know, military people tend to get it more. And like, you know, you can easily just search someone's name and more more times than not, you know, you end up finding the person you're looking for. 
But Maybe. if you're a civilian, and it's like, okay, we didn't keep in contact. Like, it's just kind of weird now. <laughs> like, yes. come on. This this is a little weird that you were able to track me down and figure out, you know, you know how to get a hold of me. And, you know, this is a little weird now. Like... Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's that's a big difference between civilian and uh, the military brat. We lose touch over yep. time and at some point can come back and just kind of pick things up where they left off, catch up, and mm -hmm. see how life has been. Whereas in the civilian world, not so much. It's kind of the, the creepy, what do you want? What are you trying to sell me? Or Exactly. Is this a kidnap thing? I'm not interested in that time. <laughs> Yeah, where we can pick up just, you know, right where we left off. Like, I mean, we've never met before, but we were able to have a conversation. Like, you know, things like that, where it's just that connection between the military family. Like, everyone is just, you know, you're able to connect on a deeper level. You're able to have conversations and you're able to, you know, move away for so many years. You can move away for decades and then be like, oh, hey, I remember you. And then it's like nothing ever happened. But that civilian world life just keeps going. And it's like, okay, there's no time to stop and, you know, remember those old friends, remember those people that, you know, you used to know or whatever it may be. There's no time for that. There's no time. You're just keep going and you're making, you're keeping the friends that you made from kindergarten. And that that's your little bubble. That's all you know. Yeah, absolutely. Sure is. Yeah. What is it like kind of now that you've lived in so many different countries? You're living in America. You're, you know, you're an adult now. You're not, you know, moving around with your family. Like, how has that transition been? Uh, it's been a tough one because I know internally I still have that desire to just continuously move and, you know, uh, even change positions if I can't move or do something else just so that I can change something. Um, and I try not to disrupt the family as much because um, as, as wonderful as, as of, of an experience as it was for me growing up, there were a lot of hardships in there too. And mm -hmm. I didn't get to know any of my cousins, my aunts and uncles, grandparents, uh, had grandparents who passed away that okay, you're a picture on the wall. That's right. that's my only connection with you, that you're a picture that we had that I would put up and then take down and put in a box when we moved and then I would put back up and then take it down. Yeah. I didn't know any of these people. Um, and they didn't know me. And the few times that we would actually get to visit with one another, I was the American one. Yeah. Um, because I wasn't born there. My Spanish was different than theirs. I didn't have the same dialect. My haircut was different. My uh, my mannerisms were different. My style of clothing was different. I was just the oddball that didn't fit in at home. And they would uh, tease and bully me because I was different. Mm. So it was similar to uh, being in in the non-military world where you just go into the public school and okay you're different you're the new kid except it's well it's the extended family um, yeah. i didn't want that for them uh as much as i wanted that travel and wanted to uh 
extend that experience to my kids so that they would have a more well-rounded sense of themselves and that uh, the U.S. is at the center of the world, that there are so many other things that can be learned outside of a textbook, that um, it was important for them to have a very firm foundation at home too. Yeah. But you can still, you know, incorporate that travel and that, you know, going to, you know, new countries doesn't mean you have to always move there and you can just go and visit. And um, I'm sure even like going back to, you know, those German towns that you lived in, you know, you're able to be like, oh, hey, you know, this is where I grew up. You know, (laughs) I lived in this house. You know, this is what I used to do in this area. So it's not that not as much as a touristy feel, it's more of a homey feel, even if it's for a couple right. days. Yeah, exactly. And that's what we do. We'll uh, we'll select what we want to do for vacation and I'll give them choices. All right. I'll we'll even put together a, a PowerPoint presentation. Right, this year's <laughs> vacation, here are the different choices. You pick. Where yeah. do you want to go? And then they get to pick. Okay, great. I will yeah. execute those orders. Yeah, and it's fun then, you know, having that time to plan and to prepare for these places. So once you get there, I mean, going back to what we were talking about earlier, you don't miss those opportunities. You don't, you know, you're able to be in the moment instead of being like, okay, you know, there's a life back home, like, or, you know, we're, we're having to move here and, you know, create these new friendships, you know, start all over life again, basically, you're able to be like, okay, we're only here for a couple of days. Let's make the most of it. Yeah, absolutely. It's paid off. Um, They wouldn't necessarily understand it at the time when they were younger. Mm -hmm. But now that the kids are older, um, so kids overall, uh, the eldest is 26, they have 18, 16, and then the youngest is 12. So the 16 and 18 year old were the two that had the most experiences with uh, our travels. And now that they're older, getting out of high school, they say, oh, dad, I remember when we went on this trip and you talked about this or you showed us that. Can you, you know, talk about that again? Or can yeah. you remind me of this specific experience? Or I was able to use that information and help welcome these other students. So it's definitely paying dividends for them later. So it's definitely worthwhile investments. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's creating those memories and those those experiences that are just irreplaceable. You know, um, we say in my family, too, we say it often that, you know, experiences are worth way more than things. And, you know, it's so true. Like, I would rather go um, we did one Christmas at Disney. We live in Florida, so we're at Disney all the time. But we did a Christmas at Disney, and um, we really didn't do any gifts that year. We didn't, you know, I mean, there was a couple here and there, but, you know, we we spent most of the money, and we went to Disney for for the, the um, Christmas, and it was just, you know, the best Christmas ever. It was like, you know, we were able to make so many memories and have so many experiences that, you know, it's not the same when you're just, you know, sitting at home and doing Christmas and, you know, while that's great and all and it's fun and, you know, gifts are are fun too. I like getting gifts. <laughs> but, you know, it's having that experience is worth way more than an object because, I mean, the object you can, you can get up, you can throw it away. Like even my phone, it's like, 
it's an object. Like, you know, I have so much information stored in there, but it's an object. You you can turn it off and it doesn't mean anything. And that's why I've been trying to teach myself is it doesn't mean everything. <laughs> you know, like I'm in the generation of where we live on our phones and, you know, that's that's the entire world is right there, but it's not the entire world is outside. You just have to you have to turn the phone off for a little bit and then look around to see you know, you're going to miss those experiences if you're too focused on an object. Absolutely right. Um, it's a great way to connect with the world. It's a great place to store those memories, mm-hmm. reflect on them. But yeah, there's a whole great world out there. If, you know, just open yourself up to them and experiences. Those are the gifts that keep on giving time and time again. Yes. Well, the last question I always ask is, what piece of advice would you give to another military? Oh, um, I would say, um, yeah, there's always a silver lining. So even when moving from one duty station to another, you're not just going away from something, you're going towards something else. So be grateful for the experiences that you have, everything that you've already experienced and look forward with uh, optimism towards whatever that next adventure is. Um, Because you get to rewrite your own history. You get to uh, change whatever it is. So if you didn't like who you were in in this school at this place, you get to start all over again. Uh, It's a whole new, not just a whole new chapter, it's a new book. So just look for that silver lining of an opportunity. Yes. Thank you so much for being on the podcast and sharing your stories and experiences of being a military child. Thank you for having me, Gracie. I appreciate it. Yes. Thank you. Thank you all for listening to this week's episode of Grace of Military Child podcast. If you enjoyed listening, don't forget to follow, like, share, subscribe, review, and comment. You can also follow us at Grace of a Military Child podcast on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram for more podcast-related content. If you or someone you know is a military child who would like to be on the podcast, please send us a message to one of our social media platforms, or you can send an email to grace.of.a.military.child at gmail.com. Tune in next Thursday to hear another incredible journey.